Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and I guide you gently through another show with my co-host, Frank Washcook. And we're in the studio again, back in the office with our production podcast guru, Bill Fitzpatrick. And uh, Frank, welcome. It's good to be back, isn't it? It is. It's nice to be in this uh, nice beautiful office um, and the studio that is just uh, a huge improvement on our old one, if I say so myself. New and so improved. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's good to be in here. It's good stuff. And a special guest this week, Glenn Jackson, who's the co-founder of Jackson Spalding, based in Atlanta. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Frank. Great to be with everyone. Yeah, look forward to chatting to Glenn. Then we'll get into some current stories. Um, new CCOs at Wells Fargo and Bechtel. Boeing has said goodbye to another CCO. We'll talk about Bospar and what they did around San Francisco Pride. Some social media stunts wouldn't be a show without that. We'll talk about MWW and Tesla, an update on that. Matthew McConaughey, he was at the White House press briefing yesterday. We're recording on, on Wednesday and uh, it seems to be a, a trend to bring people into those, but gave a very emotional speech about the uh, tragedy in so uh, we'll talk about that. And, and PR Week's owner, Haymarket, has acquired a podcast awards business. So that's exciting as well. Everything's coming up roses on the podcast front. So uh, good stuff. But let's talk to you first, Glenn. You, um, Jackson Spaulding, founded in Atlanta in 1995. Talk, talk us through the history, what, uh, how, it, how you came to found that agency. And obviously, you've seen a lot of changes over the past 27 years, I should imagine. Absolutely. Well, we're in our 27th year. I can't believe that, but time moves quickly. Bo Spalding and I co-founded the agency back in 1995, as you said, Steve, and we were with a, a New York agency for many years, helping with their Atlanta office and just made a, an entrepreneurial decision to start something on our own. And, and uh, we did. And um, we now have uh, about 135 team members, four offices. We're independently owned have a very nice broad spectrum section of clients, nice cross section of clients and um, seven partners now. And we have just tried to just slowly and strategically move forward, stay humble and hungry as we do and really proud of our team. And what yeah, and as do. you would expect, being Atlanta-based, you work with Coke and Delta, but I think you said that four of your top five clients are now in the healthcare space. So that's interesting. Is that we've seen a massive increase in healthcare communications across the board. Is that a, a relatively new development for you, or is that something that you've always had a foot in, a stake in? We've had a strong underpinning of healthcare clients over the years, starting with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. We've had a longstanding relationship with them, and um, we just see a lot of growth potential in the healthcare space, and uh, we've got a superb team working on it, and uh, we're doing a broad spectrum, a lot of different work in that area, and uh, see a lot of potential momentum going forward for our agency. Yeah. And um, you mentioned your growth. You did, I think, 15% growth in uh, 2021. You, you're up to 24 million and 135 people. Was healthcare a massive growth area over the COVID years, two years? I imagine it was a, it was a, a big, big contributor to some of that growth, yeah? Absolutely. 
it was uh, a catalyst for a lot of that growth. And COVID deepened our work in the public health sector across governmental bodies, academic settings, and, and other areas. And we've also started working in more uh, highly regulated spaces like device and mental health spaces as well. So tell us a bit about the Atlanta PR market. Obviously, a very vibrant city, very diverse city, and lots going on, lots of big businesses, Coke and Delta, just a couple of them. Tell us about the market generally and the communications market, their PR market. I think it's an excellent market, guys. Uh, it's strong, really, a lot of really smart people here, very talented agencies. And, um, you know, Atlanta's the economic hub of the South. There are a lot of businesses in Atlanta that need our services, and uh, there's tremendous opportunity for growth in the public relations space for all agencies in Atlanta, large, small, medium-sized. It's a very healthy market. I'm very optimistic about its continued growth. Yeah, you've got Arby's there as well, haven't you? You've got, uh, is it UPS as well, and uh, lots of other great businesses? Chick-fil-A, a client of ours is here. You have Rollins, you have uh, NCR, you've got just some phenomenal, the Southern companies, some great companies take word here. Now, tell us that you've stayed resolutely independent over those 27 years. I imagine you've had loads of approaches from the holding companies. What's been your thinking on that front and why have you stayed independent and uh, not sort of uh, gone for the the buyout uh, scenario? Well, we want to build something long term and we want to preserve our culture and stay true to our eight enduring values and um, our purpose as an organization to cultivate meaningful relationships rooted in mutual respect. So we've just decided that our independence is just absolutely fundamentally and foundationally very important to our agency for, for the long haul. It's really the air we breathe, actually. It's what keeps us moving every day. Uh, freedom doesn't have a price tag, if you will, and, and we, we love being independent. Have you ever been tempted to sell out to one of the big holding companies? No, we've had we've had no desire to do that. So that's and we have seven partners within our agency who now own a piece of our agency, and that helps preserve our independence because they're going to keep this going for the long term. And uh, I'm cheering them on. They're a fantastic group of leaders. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that because Bo has retired from the firm. Um, tell us about the next generation of leadership at uh, Jackson Spaulding. Well, it's. Uh, it's a very talented group of professionals. They're just outstanding leaders, first and foremost. They're phenomenal people. We have three women, four men. We'll continue to diversify that as we go along. We'll have more owners down the road. We meet every Wednesday. We had a meeting today together, and it's just a great esprit de corps among the team, too. We really enjoy being together. And, uh, you know, Shakespeare talked about the happy few, and uh, I think uh, Henry V play you know, the band of brothers and sisters, the happy few. And that's our happy few. They're, they're really special people. How have you structured the ownership so that you can keep your best talent and that you can, you know, give people a, an upward path, as it were, so that they can see it, you know, they, they can be incentivized to stick around and, and stay in that happy band? Well, they each own a piece of our agency and uh, there's incentive and motivation to grow agency because they own it. I think part of my job really is to, I micromanage them at all. And actually, I'm learning from them every day. They're the best group of leaders I'm around here in our city. And we have an owner in Dallas as well, where we have an office. So without getting into too many details, there's there's a reason for them to want our agency to succeed and to preserve independence. And that's key to our future growth as a company. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And obviously, it's been a rough time over the last couple of years for everybody, you know, in, in lockdown. What's your attitude? We, we kind of ask most agency owners, how, how are you 
navigating that working from home hybrid model, the future of work? How do you see that playing out, and and what is, what is this sort of strategy you, you've got in place to make sure you get the best talent and keep the best talent? Well, it's it's three days in the office and two days working from home right now, and uh, we want to maintain our flexibility going forward as an agency. While we at the same time work very hard to preserve our culture, Steve and Frank. So I think culture is created not in squares, but in circles. So whenever we can get together and be together, that's extremely important for us to stay connected. And uh, I think we, we, we managed the COVID period well. It was tough and challenging, like for every agency. We learned a lot of lessons from it. And I think it's made us better going forward as a company. You know, speaking of culture, I think there, there are five things that every healthy culture has. And one of those five is a sense of freedom. And we want to give our people that at our agency at Jackson Spalding, you know, a sense of freedom as you were treated as an adult and you were trusted as a colleague, you're, you're um, given more responsibility as a professional and um, you're provided the headroom to grow and, and not be micromanaged managed as the organization evolves and prospers. So, that sense of freedom, I think, is important for us and all agencies going forward to make sure we give our people that, along with a sense of fascination about where the business is going, how you can help entrepreneurially shape its clay, if you will, at our agency, for example. That's very important. Those are two of the five, sense of freedom and a sense of fascination. Drucker said that, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast every morning and I would add lunch and dinner to that. I think culture is still essential for any business, large or small. Yeah, it is. Um, how do you build that authentically? Because you can't just sort of impose a culture on some an organization, can you? It has to grow organically. So, so you have a very specific philosophy about PR and about the business. How have you managed to grow that organically and authentically? I think it starts at the top. It starts with our leaders walking the walk and serving and pouring into our people being available for them and communicating a ton with our team. I think one of the challenging things with COVID and the pandemic was a lot of companies lost connection and a sense of communication with their people. And I think a decrease in communication and connectivity leads to a decrease in retention for businesses. And an increase in connectivity and communication leads to an increase in retention. So I just you just can't over communicate in business and you can never stop pouring into your your people. And that's what we try to do here and be really true to our values, which one of our values is we respect each other and we want to treat everybody here, starting with our people and then also with our clients, of course, with the utmost respect. Yeah, it's a good uh, it's good founding values to to base the business on. Have you had times in your career, Glenn, when you've had to actually make difficult decisions and say, well, look, this client actually isn't in line with our right. values and we're going to stop working with them or, or this particular person isn't, you know, and, and we're going to have to say goodbye to them. Is that something that you, you know, found difficult over the years or is it just part of sticking to those values that you've uh, outlined there? What you just said at the end, I mean, you have to remain true to your, to your values and live those out every day. I think actions are more important than words. And that's what we need to do here. And I think, again, all agencies need to do because the reputation of our industry is so important right now, Steve. And 
as I was starting in the business, I started in 1985. I was 21 years old. I graduated from Washington Lee University in Virginia. I was an English major. And back then when I started, you know, PR was really all about the press release. Now it's much more substantive than that. It's much more strategic than that. You know, PR is about telling the truth. It's about sound sound judgment and wise counsel. And it's about uh, thinking strategically, uh, you know, as you anticipate needs for your clients and providing those clients really smart communication solutions. So seen a lot of change in the industry. I don't think, I think one thing will not change. And, and that is that I think all of us in our industry are still about communicating, helping our clients communicate with clarity and integrity to the critical audiences that they want to positively impact over time. I think that will always remain the same. And we've got to help our clients do that. I agree with you about the PR industry, but do you think that message comes over, you know, to the external world and and even the mainstream media? Because whenever they talk about PR, they've got a very outdated, they seem to have a very outdated image of it, and they still see it as rooted in media relations and not as a, a you know, senior counsel. How do we change that perception? How do we get that uh, message across? I think it's still a challenge. I think a lot of it's about the professionalism of the people who work in the industry, um, their knowledge of the industries they're representing really know that industry and building deep relationships with reporters and establishing trust and being known as, as trustworthy and, and, and knowledgeable and, and good writers. I think good writing is still so important in our business. We give everybody here a writing test and, you know, that's, that's, that's important before you hire somebody, you want to make sure they know how to, to write well. Yeah, absolutely. Agree with that. All right, Glenn, it's good to uh, chat to you and find out uh, about the agency. And we're looking forward to chatting you for the rest of the show and some of the stories we're going to cover. On the move. Frank, lots of people moved, some new CCOs coming on board at Wells Fargo and Bechtel, quite high profile appointments there. Talk us through them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you continue to see this mass migration of people from one big brand to another. I mean, it does not seem to be a trend slowing down anytime soon. So the big one, Wells Fargo has replaced Barry Rafferty as their top communications and brand leader with Amy Bonita Tibus, who came from Chase, which is J.P. Morgan's, uh, a branch of J.P. Morgan. She was the chief communications officer there, leading public affairs, internal comms, social media, and some other areas. She's also worked at Fannie Mae and earlier in her career was an aide to uh, the then Senator Hillary Clinton uh, from New York. She was also a member of our 40 Under 40 class in 2021. Uh, that was a, a great event PR Week had and really one of the first uh, events back in the industry after, uh, well, I don't want to say after the pandemic, but after one phase of the pandemic. Yeah, tough job. She is moving into it, Wells Fargo, as they continue to rebuild their reputation after that years-long uh, fraudulent account scandal that they're still rebounding from in a lot of ways. Uh, also, Jennifer Dunn, the former SVP of Corporate Communications and Public Affairs, left Wells Fargo this year uh, to join Hill & Knowlton Strategies as the head of their DC office and EVP and head of US Corporate Affairs. Yeah, I think they were looking for someone with a financial background, weren't they? I mean, Barry is a fantastic uh, PR professional and um, you know did, did some good stuff there, but it, it felt like the new leadership, Charlie Schaaf, the CEO wanted a wanted someone with a very distinct finance background. So it looks like what he's done there. Yeah, and that and that makes sense. And I think if you think a lot about a lot of people who are financial communicators, I mean that tends to be I don't want to say a tight knit group, but uh, a lot of people that have worked at some of the same banks for sure. 
And Bechtel? Bechtel uh, has brought on Raina Farrell as manager of corporate communications, which is the senior most communications position at the company. Uh, she is reporting up to Brendan Bechtel, the chairman and CEO of what is a gigantic construction and um, you know heavy industry company. So she is replacing Charlene Wheelis, uh, who left as Bechtel's principal VP and manager of corporate affairs back in late 2019. Uh, and she had been there for 10 years. Uh, so Wheelis is doing some work for APCO uh, as a senior advisor, and she's also the principal of Charlene Wheelis LLC. Yeah, well known to this podcast, and Bechtel does some extraordinarily big uh, infrastructure projects around the world. So, And Boeing has said goodbye to another CCO. Seems to be a bit of a poison chalice, that job, and, a tr- and certainly a tricky one. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the latest person to step down from that role is Ed Dandridge. Uh, he was SVP and Chief Communications Officer at Boeing. He was there less than two years, and he uh, stepped in a few years ago for Neil Golightly, who resigned that summer after a, an article he wrote in 1987 in the U.S. Navy that uh, critiqued the idea of women serving in combat was unearthed more than 30 years later. Yeah, so, before you could even get started. In that yeah, picture. yeah. So um, that's the latest turnover at Boeing. Again, a challenging company, still rebuilding uh their image in a lot of ways. Yeah, Glenn, how have you seen the CCO role evolve over the years you've been in the business? You know, your clients obviously drive your business, and but you must have seen some big changes in the the that that function, which really drives a lot of the business. It has changed over the years, and uh, you know, it's an important role. I think the best ones really understand the power of community relations and how that should work. Do you think it's now a role that gets the you know that that mythical seat at the table? Do you think it has a heightened importance in in inside corporations and enterprises now? Have we got sort of have we broken through that barrier? And it certainly seems like we have, which is a positive. I do, I do. I, I think uh, you know you look at all these ESG reports that are now being produced by companies. We do several. I think that's added additional weight bearing to that role. Yeah, for sure. We've been uh, plotting plotting that a lot at PR Week. And Frank, we're obviously in the middle of Pride Month, and Bospar got involved with San Francisco Pride. Tell us about what happened there. Yeah, this is a really interesting case study because San Francisco Pride is the biggest uh, Pride celebration in the country in the month of June. And uh, Bospar had to step in almost at the last minute and sort of negotiate a compromise um, between the organizers of the celebration and the San Francisco Police Officers Pride Alliance uh, to allow some uniformed officers to march uh, in the parade. So it's interesting. You you, kind of don't realize how much negotiation goes on behind the scenes with with parades like this and greater celebrations like this between all the different stakeholder groups. Um, and you, one thing that is a, a, a bit tricky with this is that some of the uh, the first historic gay rights moments came about because of altercations between police and uh, you know people at uh, at gay bars, whether that's uh, Compton's Cafeteria in San Francisco or the Stonewall Inn in, down in the Village uh, in New York City. So um, you know that's that's a part of the negotiation here in in. Uh, who is in the parade and, and, you know, how they're dressed and what, what sort of uniform they're wearing. So it's an interesting case study there. Uh, Bospar stepping in at the last minute, uh, doing some media relations as well. Okay. And we love a good stunt on the PR Week podcast. And we've, we, we all remember the KFC sun cream. 
KFC chicken-flavoured sun cream, which uh, found its way into the PR Week office. But uh, there's another one out there. Frank Velveeta has debuted cheese-flavoured nail polish. Is that something you'll be uh, sporting in the office? I am uh, definitely not going to be sporting that, but I doubt that's going to be too disappointing to either Nails Inc. or Velveeta because I'm probably not their target audience. Um, But what they are doing – I'm interested to see, by the way, if samples of this do – make their way to the office. I'm, I'm interested. To, I will have my eye on that just out of, out of curiosity. And don't forget that scooter we had that was uh, noise-powered. So the louder you shouted, the faster the scooter went. You, you, there's a lot of swag that enters this office that yeah, you wish didn't. We've missed the swag, don't we? I think having the cl- office closed, we've missed the swag arriving. So if you've got any swag out there, send it along, folks. We're, we're missing our swag. And we'll, we'll talk about it on the podcast. We're shameless. But it, it'll get talked about. Yes, as uh, will this uh, Nails Inc. and Velveeta collaboration that our own Diana Bradley said made the dream into a reality. And I, I don't know if I'd go that far. But uh, the launch oh, of a, PR week, Diana, a nail polish collection called Velveeta Pinkies Out Polish, which includes a nail polish duo and nail stickers. And it is Velveeta. Uh, it has the smell of Velveeta. Uh, Allison Broad Marketing and Communications is the agency working on this campaign. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Allison is always at the center of a lot of those things. Glenn, how do you get the right balance? A lot of this stuff is fun, and PR has been associated with stunts throughout the years, and now a lot of this stuff is you know played out on social media. But you can get it wrong as well, can't you? How do you sort of balance it? And, and there's nothing wrong in a bit of fun in in the world. We I think we need a bit more of that, don't we? So, are you, how are you seeing that at uh, Jackson Spalding? Yeah, I think you've got to do it the right way and, and have the right tone with whatever you do and keep your clients' objectives in mind and use these things to garner more top-of-mind awareness when they're appropriate and avoid the ones that are just stupid ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know? yeah, you definitely need to need a sort of uh, reality check on them sometimes, don't you? you got to winnow them. Yes, indeed. Yeah. That's a good. Uh, that's a good uh, piece of advice. I think. Um, a, a more serious story, Frank, was uh, that rose this week. A, a bit of a legacy story, but I mean, Tesla's in the news every week. We seem to talk about them on the podcast every week. But this uh, thing arose with MWW's involvement with them from a few years ago. Um, Caught, yeah, and I think caught the, the eye of the national media anyway. I think the reason it's getting interest is because there's so much uh, general interest in the relationship between Elon Musk and Tesla's management and their workforce. Uh, so the story with this is that in 2017 and 2018, uh, Tesla contracted MWW, now known as Mike Worldwide, uh, to monitor employees on a Facebook group and more broadly uh, on social media, according to invoices and other documents uh, that CNBC reviewed. Um, so the, this is interesting on a few other levels. I mean, I, we had uh, a similar but not the same story back in March about Amazon working with Global Strategy Group. And both of these firms are, you know, very connected with the Democratic Party in a lot of ways, um, which is, you know, of course, generally mo- more pro-labor than the Republicans are. And so uh, Amazon worked with Global Strategy Group at one point as its employees were looking to unionize uh, at Amazon. And so, you know, that caught a lot of attention as well. And GSG faced client blowback for that. So, um, like you said, a bit of a legacy story, but I think a lot of people were still interested in in how these relationships went on. Yeah, Glenn, I think ethics underpins good, authentic PR, doesn't it? And um, But the, the line between mm-hmm. sort of doing standard PR practice of monitoring things and just intelligence and data and analytics versus maybe crossing the line into private groups or whatever, I mean... And, 
no need to comment on this story specifically, but how do you navigate that at, at a PR agency and sort of the type of clients you'll work with or the type of activities you'll do for them? Well, one of our values here is we're of the highest integrity and uh, we're, we're not going to do anything that doesn't reflect that commitment as an agency. And uh, you can do all that and still maintain your integrity. But when you cross the line, that's, that's uh, not a smart thing to do. And I think it also re- reflects poorly on our industry as a whole. Do you think it's become more difficult in the in the age of social media? You know, and so so much data out there, and so much um, you know stuff to monitor, if you like, about your brands, that your clients' brands. I'd have to ask our social people that question. Uh, I would imagine so, but I don't want to opine on that. But I think it's a continued challenge for us to keep an eye on it. Sure. Yeah. Frank, we talked last week about BTS joining the um, White House press conference uh, with Karine Jean-Pierre to talk about anti-Asian hate. And uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, joined another conference at the White House to talk about gun crime because he has associations with uh, Uvarde, where there was that tragic school shooting. Talk to us about what what, uh, happened, because it was very emotional, wasn't it? Yeah, and we should say he's a native of the town, uh, that 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 terrible um, mass shooting at at Rob Elementary School happened. I, I thought that... McConaughey in the press room and showing pictures of the artwork that these kids made and um, the one girl who was killed, her green Converse shoes that she drew a heart on and all of these different ways that he talked about the victims of the shooting. I, I thought it was it was very effective just just in, in communications terms. But I mean, I think it was also impossible to watch without being moved by what he was saying. And so I, I think it was it was very effective. Now, I think in terms of communication strategy, is this going to be something that the Biden administration continues to do? Are they going to continue to, uh, because BTS was in last week, are they going to continue to bring celebrities into the press room to really emphasize the points they're trying to make, whether it's about the need for gun control or more measures along those lines, uh, or it's about curbing anti-Asian hatred and anti-Asian violence. You know, so um, I'm interested to see if they continue to do this or if this was just uh, a few situations that presented themselves really well. But I think I think McConaughey deserves a lot of credit for how well he got across the points he was trying to make in, in the briefing room. Yeah, it would be interesting to know if this is something that Corinne Jean-Pierre herself has kind of brought in because it does seem to have started happening under her watch or whether it's just a coincidence and the two happened in... Um, close proximity. But Glenn, I know, I think you were impressed with uh, McConaughey's performance at the press conference. I really was. I thought it was inspiring. I thought he was extremely authentic. It was very powerful, what he had to say. You know, it was 20 minutes. It was probably the best 20 minutes of just effective communications I've seen so far this year in terms of how he delivered that. I, I found it to be extremely moving. And I'm yeah. glad he did it. I yeah. Thought. I thought it was heroic for him to get up there and, you know, do that. That is that is a very tough topic to talk about, especially his emotional connection with that town. I, I was so moved by it. And whoever asked him to do it, it was a brilliant move because I think he reached a lot of people who needed to hear what he had to say. Yeah, and I think by using people in that way, it's not a it's not a sort of gimmick. I think that, that 
they're yeah. authentically bringing them in and talking about serious topics. And, it, and if that can get more attention to the issue, then, you know, I think it's a great technique. Um, do you have a view on the whole gun issue generally, Glenn, you know, in, in the country, you know, that so many of these shootings now and it's a sort of a, a it's almost a sign that things are back to normal, hor- horrifyingly, you know, that we're getting this, getting all these mass shootings again. But how can we change the the narrative around this and, and make America a little bit safer, especially for our kids? It has to be done. We need less words and more action. Yeah. And we need leadership in our country to really make it happen. And we need to move with a sense of urgency on this matter. That's my opinion. Yeah, it's one of those issues that obviously divides uh, opinion, but I, I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. And let's just finish up, Frank, with a bit of um, news about Haymarket, our owner, because uh, they've acquired a really interesting podcast project and property, which uh, is going to be a lot of fun, hopefully, and yeah, hopefully we'll is, get to work on it. It is going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we're here in this this brilliant new uh, podcasting studio, though I keep um, being tempted to hit the microphone button on Google Meets and it's it's takes some getting used to, but yes. we'll we'll push through it. It fits his domain now. Yeah, it's where it's we'll out of our it. control. So um Haymarket uh, has bought Podcast Awards Limited, the owner of the British Podcast Awards, the Australian Podcast Awards, and the Irish Podcast Awards. Um, and Haymarket will also become a partner in Podcast Day 24, which is a nonstop global podcasting conference uh, with events that are going to start in Sydney and move around the globe to London and later uh, into New York. So it's great to see uh, that that Haymarket has acquired this company. And it's also, you know, it's exciting to see how they're going to work with us, whether it's this product or, or through some other products. And, uh, and yeah, just looking forward to it. Two co-founders are Matt Deegan and Matt Hill. So uh, if they're interested in our podcast, we're interested in working with them. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I know Matt from uh, my days on Media Week in the UK. He's a very uh, smart guy and uh, got long roots in the radio sector. So, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, working in partnership with them and uh, lots of possibilities. Do you listen to a lot of podcasts, Glenn? Is that part of your daily diet? I do. Diet? I do. I enjoy them. And are you, re- you listening to them while driving a lot or uh, when, you know, when, uh, at home or how does that work? Driving, sometimes at home. Um, you know, I, I like. Uh, I always like how I built this. I think it was the guy Rise. I think that's a great podcast. And then one I'm listening to a lot lately is Crazy Good Turns, which is a podcast about inspire inspiring things done by by just good people doing good deeds. It's a really good podcast. Crazy Good Turns. It'll lift your spirits when you listen to it. Uh, that's a couple of good recommendations there to add to your list. And I hope the PR Week is on that list as well. And absolutely, um, you guys are doing a great job well thanks glenn and thanks for being a guest today thanks enjoy chatting me, to you right. yeah it's thank a, real, it's a pleasure thank you keep up um, the wonderful work thanks look forward to Strength. getting back to atlanta uh, soon because we haven't Love been there for you. a long time yeah Strength, got, for the journey yeah we've got to get down there just a couple of housekeeping notes we've got the women of distinction event this week and we're going to do a special podcast around that next week so look out for that honoring women leaders and women to watch coming up in the profession. We're all, well, we're not all off to can. I am. <laughs> Sorry, Frank. <laughs> it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do I'll it. Be working you'll you'll be doing all the here. work back at the ranch, you, you and Fitz. But uh, yeah, we actually work quite hard down there. Nobody believes us, but we do happen to be on the in the you know the Cote d'Azur which is not the worst place to work so we'll be doing all the coverage from there we've got some great events if you're going to be there let me know it'll be great to catch up or we've got some 
if you want to be part of one of our roundtables, do, do, do ping me. And then uh, we'll be looking forward to PR Decoded in Chicago, which is uh, October the 11th to the 12th. And that will be the, including the Purpose Awards. It'll be great to be back in person in Chicago again. And uh, the Salary Survey Premium Edition is being more popular than ever, I think, because of the talent crunch and the great resignation. So get, self, get a hold of a copy of that if you want to uh, understand the trends that are driving our industry. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.